Welcome to the Boardroom Governance Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Epstein. In this episode, I talk with David Chun, the founder and CEO of Equilar, a Silicon Valley-based leading provider of corporate leadership data solutions. Companies of all sizes rely on Equilar for business development, recruiting, executive compensation, and shareholder engagement, including 70% of the Fortune 500 and institutional investors representing over $20 trillion in assets. In addition, David is a trustee of the Committee for Economic Development and serves on the boards of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group and the Asian Pacific Fund Community Foundation of San Francisco. David is also a member of YPO, past chair of the San Francisco Bay Chapter, a founding member of the Council of Korean Americans, and a former advisory board member of the Wharton Center for Entrepreneurship. Among other topics, in this podcast, we discuss the current and future focus of his firm, the recent partnership announcement with NASDAQ on its boardroom diversity proposal to the SEC, the current state of boardroom diversity in California and beyond, the latest trends in director compensation, and his take on the stakeholder versus shareholder debate. If you like this show, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing this podcast on social media. You can find all the show notes on the website boardroom-governance.com and please feel free to subscribe to the Boardroom Governance newsletter at evanepstein.substack.com. David, thank you very much for making the time to come into this podcast. It's been a long time since I've wanted to have you in you have so much experience on executive compensation and other governance-related matters that I really wanted to uh, have you and, and have your input here. So thank you for coming in. Hey, Evan, thank you uh, so much for the opportunity. When I look at your, your past guests, I'm, I'm honored to be included in uh, such a, an illustrious group of individuals. And as you know, I've uh, wanted to push this out a little because we had a, we had some big news that we'll, we'll get into in a second. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you being patient on that and uh, excited to talk about that. No problem. Okay, so the, the first question I, I like to do is to go a little bit on the personal side and, and tell us your story individually, uh, not only on Equilar, but tell us, you know, where did you grow up and, and we'll go from there until we get to Equilar. Yeah, yeah. So um, originally from the East Coast, well, I guess originally originally from Korea, um, came to the United States in the 1968, uh, at the ripe old age of seven months old, um, <laughs> our ticket out of Korea right after the Immigration Act uh, was passed, uh, my dad was able to get a master's degree in accounting in New Jersey. So that was our um, way to get out of Korea. And for, you know, Korea, everybody looks at Korea now and they see K-pop, they see BTS. You know, that was not the Korea we left. Uh, the Korea yeah, we left yeah. is probably one of the, you know, the poorest countries in the world because it was right after uh, the war. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in um, just outside New York City. I like to call it Sopranos country. Uh, it was very much a, uh, you know, I got a lot of uh, interesting characters. Now I look back at, you know, who, what, what some of the, who some of the parents were. And now I understand what, why <laughs> they were doing the things that they were doing. But um, so I grew up in New Jersey, kind of classic, you know, um, middle class type uh, background. Fortunately, our family was able to uh, do, do, you know, reasonably well um, after leaving Korea. And um, then uh, did my undergrad at University of Virginia, worked in Boston. I was a, in consulting at Bain, then at a software company, MBA at Wharton, back to New York City. Uh, uh, started off um, 
in investment banking with uh, Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genred. And then in 97, when things were heating up, you know, right after Netscape had gone public, um, was asked to move out to California and uh, help open up the uh, the Menlo Park office for, for DLJ. And it was supposed to be uh, one year and go back, but as I mean, you and I know, wow. once you're out here, you got a taste of the lifestyle. It's, it's, I mean, it's, in 97, who would go back in 1997? You're, you're absolutely right. And even today, who would go? Well, I guess I don't know. <laughs> there are some issues. We'll, we can talk about that on a subsequent podcast. But yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, my wife and I, we fell in love with um, being out here with, you know, this was the, the, the center of the universe with uh, everything going on, the dot-com boom. And um, yeah, so stayed, decided to stay with DLJ for a couple extra years. And then in 2000, um, left to start up Equar. And so I've been running Equar for uh, about 20 years now, just over 20 years. And uh, it's been a great ride and uh, super excited about the, the next chapter that we just uh, were kicking off in partnership with NASDAQ and uh, happy to, to talk more about that in a second. Well, that's that's amazing. Uh, let me ask you, what what gave you that entrepreneurial bug to start <laughs> Equilar when you were in the investment banking side? Yeah, yeah. So back then, right? Um, Everyone was going public. It's frankly, you know, with DoorDash going public today, Airbnb <laughs> coming, yeah. it is, you know, SPACs, you, you, you name it. It is the hottest IPO market in 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, we all know how that movie is going to end, but we'll, we'll worry about that later. Um, but no, having worked with, um, you know, right, you had the, the, the World Wide Web, all these new business models uh, starting, companies getting funded. And my wife and I, you know, we just got married. We had our first kid and, uh, you know, the wheels are turning like, okay, what can I do? You know, what are, you know, is there a business I could start? And, you know, for many of your listeners, um, you know, when I got in the business at, at DLJ, what is now Edgar was microfiche. So microfiche became CD-ROM, CD-ROM then became Edgar. And that's when the light bulb started going off. And, you know, for anyone who spent any time going through our CC files, right, yeah. people are just stunned at the amount of tremendous data that's available. That's literally now, today, right? You can pick up your phone with a browser and be able to access any of this stuff. Um, so, so a lot of it, as we know, is unstructured. And I said, okay, there's got to be an opportunity to go off and structure, uh, you know, build a product around this. Um and full disclosure, it wasn't around cor corporate governance. It was around, you know, tracking IPO data. But, you know, right after the company started, the, the market, you know, started to hmm. correct in, in, in a very big way. And classic, you know, Silicon Valley story, um, you got to learn to, you know, you're, if, if, you know, you look at all the businesses that, that are out here, very few are doing what was in the original business plan, right? You get into the market. You, you, you learn what works, what doesn't work, and you have to, you know, learn to pivot, for lack of a better term. And uh, so somehow we got into this whole human capital space in 2001. And um, literally right before Enron and Anderson um, mm -hmm. became front page news. And so I look at, um, you know, the modern corporate governance era, really going back to, you know, what happened with Enron, because shortly thereafter, um, we had, you know, Tyco, Adelphia, Worldcom. Right. So all that, you know, the corporate malfeasance. And shortly right after that, and ironically, we're doing this this call this week where um, was it, it was Congressman Sarbanes, right, who recently passed mm -hmm. this week. So we had Sarbanes-Oxley uh, get passed. And so a whole new set of regulations and you know, corporate governance, honestly, you know, 
very few people talked about this in the, in the 90s, and right. now after the dot-com bubble. And so with this focus around corporate governance, there's a lot of attention around exec comp. And we just happen to be in the right place at the right time that people need compensation data, both not only issuers, but the investor community and others in, in the ecosystem. And so we've been able to um, build out a, a, a nice niche of uh, being the, the trusted, most accurate source around uh, executive compensation data. And uh, as you know, we're, we're cited regularly out there in, the, in you know, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times and others. And uh, that has helped us build out the, the board data piece, which uh, we'll talk more about in a second. Yeah, so so you could say that the history of Ecuador really started with executive compensation, but Absolutely. with that, you kind of dabbled into corporate governance inevitably, uh, yes. since it's such a big component of what boards have to do. Yep. Um, and, and so why don't you tell us uh, some of the tools that you developed? Uh, and, and I see that you have board recruiting, you have business development, you have executive compensation and shareholder engagement. So maybe without going into the NASDAQ deal, but maybe just like how have you built those tools and how did that evolve in your yeah. thought process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so without question, right? Yes, the, the board has so many responsibilities, right? Uh, that they're responsible for. But without question, you know, I remember hearing at Directors College a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, uh, Reed Hastings at one of the keynotes, I believe it was a dinner <laughs> keynote. And, you know, as you, you were there, right? Yeah, I remember, yeah. The number one responsibility of the board is the hiring, firing of the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. You know, do, that is the... Uh, number one decision, and that's the only decision, um, or the comp you know things around the CEO. That's the one decision that the board has a hundred percent control of, right? It's that is the board's decision, and as you know, the a very important piece of um, the CEO's uh, or the board's relationship with the CEO is how is that uh, CEO compensated, right? Um, you know, if you you compensate if it's quote unquote above market, right? The shareholders are not happy, right? And so then you, you know, now we have Sam Pay, and that's how they um, you, you can express their displeasure with that. If the the compensation is below market, then you have flight risk, and then now all of a sudden you have all this. So it's it's a very tricky uh, decision, and there's no right answer. You know, that's that's the, the for you know what they call it, the beauty, the conundrum, the opportunity around compensation. You know, there's so many opinions about it. Right. There's so much of like, well, you know, that person is so ridiculously overpaid, but like, well, you know, hey, this person is in high demand. And, and, and you know, compensation, as we know, you, you compare that versus athletes, you compare that versus, versus musicians, you compare that versus, you know, Howard Stern's new contract with Sirius XM, you know, to keep them around. So there's a lot. It's a very emotional decision, a very uh, difficult decision and, um, and many different you know, stakeholders involved uh, as part of all that. Yeah. The internal team. You know how the CEO's compensation certainly is a ripple effect on the rest of the leadership team. So it is a, a decision that um, that you know companies do not take lightly. A tremendous amount of scrutiny around that. And so through that that initial product, uh, we've just you know we get uh, feedback from others on hey this is an adjacency that you need to you know get involved with. And so. On the investor side, you know, we're, we we work very closely with Calpers and Vanguard and BlackRock and others, and we actually build Calpers as uh, their own pay for performance model that looks at you know five years of realizable pay. Um, so there's you know um, not numerous comp related products. We we built out a uh, proprietary survey that because um, you know what's only available 
in an SEC filing or the five highest paid. But as you know, there's many more, many other executives at the company, and so we we've um, built the trust with companies where they give us data that's not publicly available that we aggregate uh, as part of all this. But but going back to when we started, and this goes back to my experience back at DLJ, the data that we've been mining out of SEC filings, we made a conscious decision from day one when we see a name in, the, in, in, a, in an SEC filing, do we already have that name at another company? So let's take Joe Grunfuss as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, your old boss, our, our mm-hmm. dear friend, mm-hmm. right? So Joe shows up, let's say back then, you know, he was on the board of Oracle, right? Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, Financial Engines goes public, Joe Grunfuss pops up again. Is that the same Joe Grunfuss that was on the board of Oracle, right? And then um, a couple of years later, he shows up on the board of KKR. And so what we've been doing consciously from day one is tracking um, the trajectory of executives and board members. So we've built this 20-year history of relationships that has allowed us to build um, our, our board edge product mm-hmm. and to allow companies to be able to source candidates and, and, and bring a digital solution to, um, to, uh, to a tough challenge. So we'll obviously get into that because that's a core of uh, what, what you're doing now with the board um, diversity initiative and uh, candidates and all of that. Uh, but you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, say on pay. How has say on pay? And, and for those of, that don't know, uh, uh, you know, in Dodd Frank in 2010 was yep. a regulation after the yep. financial crisis, made uh, a, a regulation where shareholders have to approve in a non-binding vote the compensation of executives. Yep. And uh, so, what was the what has been the uh, reaction or the results of say on pay on governance in, in, in your view? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley was kind of the first uh, major um, catalyst. Zampay is taking it to, to another level um, because it is, um, as you said, it's it's non-binding, but it carries a lot of weight and it's very personal. And it's not only, um, it's the shareholders are grading the CEO of the company. And, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see where, hey, you know, you look at the pay package and it may not seem, um, you know, that high relative to others, but if, you know, the um, company's not performing well and specifically the stock price, um, it's a way for shareholders to, to candidly send a message. And, um, and, and on top of that, um, because the comp committee members are responsible for the, the the compensation package, and you know the leadership of the company. Um, it gets very personal where now investors are much uh, you know will vote against individual board members, and you'll 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 see you know the the, the board you know let's say most of the board gets let's say ninety eight percent, but the comp committee members get eighty eight percent, and um, so you know as we all know that's all relative and so the comp committee members they feel it you know they they take it very personally like hey well hey i'm doing my job here but you know um you know why you're hurting on these things you know they're as we all know they're all somewhat competitive in their own little Mm -hmm. ways and so that that those are messages that are being sent so it is absolutely changed and and what what came out of sam pay is as as you know right has been um this this rise around shareholder engagement Mm -hmm. where before board members weren't expected to talk with investors. Now you have mini roadshows 
where board members, lead directors, comp committee members, you know, they're going out either uh, telephone, well, I guess now all, all on the Zoom, but before uh, COVID, I mean, you know, the largest shareholders, Q1s, they're going to, they, they'll do in-person meetings and sitting down with them and, you know, getting their feedback, you know, from investors like, well, okay, you know, tell us what, what, what you're not happy about. And, you know, that feedback would then go back uh, to the company. So this whole area of shareholder engagement, uh, this uh, ecosystem around shareholder engagement, um, the support, the preparation, the, the dialogue, um, that didn't exist, honestly, 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think you and I would agree it's it's great that had it, it has because it's it's allowed investors to take um, um, you know uh, be able to get their feedback directly to individuals within organizations that could inf- uh, influence and uh, affect change. So there is, uh, as you were talking about executive compensation and, and, and tying up to stock price. Since you're a comp uh, expert, I've always thought about the Elon Musk and Tesla package, which is probably worth $50 billion. How do you see like that full-on stock price tied compensation? You know, what's the reaction of the market in, in, in that regard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously very controversial. And there was another executive in the in the biotech industry, I'm blanking on his name, but he had a similar Elon Musk package, right? And um, the... It's as as you know, it passed. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the investors were uh, not unhappy with the with the with the program. So it, it ultimately got shareholder approval. And you can make the argument from a shareholder perspective, if if you know, and we look back at now, you know, if if, if <laughs> Tesla is a five hundred billion dollar company, you know, he's Elon's right. worth every penny. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so now they are worth, you know, it's a $500 billion company. And as we know, it's going to be added to the S&P 500 index later this month. And so you're going to have all the index funds going out, uh, buying up shares. Um, You know, and, and, you know, one can make, you know, the the flip side of it is like, is any executive worth that much, right? And like, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, these are um, the real, there's no right answer. I mean, you know, and, and you would, I think we would all agree. Would Tesla be worth that much without Elon Musk as CEO? Could could another CEO pull this off? I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. I mean, you talk about a a gentleman who, for what, you know, his flaws or whatnot. I mean, the electrification of the auto industry, the transformation of that, could this, could someone else have done this? Quite possibly, but I would, I'd say, Arguably not, and and the guy's obviously launched rockets. I mean, right, right. He's, he's doing. He's digging tunnels. I mean, and and he's and he moved to Austin. So yeah, so so it's it, it is it's interesting, right? Executive compensation is such an emotional topic. Yeah. That yeah. you know, and and politicized at some level as well, yeah. right? Now you got Absolutely. politicians that are pushing for some curbs on exec comp. It's such a hot topic. Let me ask you. So obviously, last week Nasdaq announced this new proposal to to the SEC on diversity, very similar to what uh, California has done mm-hmm. through uh, SB eight twenty six and AB nine seven nine to have more gender and underrepresented community members in the board. And in this announcement, there's a partnership with your firm Equilar to aid them on board composition planning challenges. What exactly are you doing with NASDAQ and what does this entail? Yeah, yeah. So, so thanks for, for asking. Um, appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. So I guess, uh, where, where should I start? So the slight differences between what NASDAQ is 
doing and versus what, what's happening here in California. So as we know here in California had both uh, AB 979 most recently and before that SBA 26. SBA 26, right, women, AB 979, uh, underrepresented minority groups and the LGBTQ community. So with the next, next, next for, for those that don't know uh, the details of these regulations, these were uh, local state laws approved yep. for California public companies, headquartered California public companies to have at least a minimum threshold of gender in SBA yep. 26, women and boards, and then underrepresented communities, which is a, a pretty high or broad swath of African-American, Hispanics, yep. Asian, LGBT. Indigenous, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of what California did. And uh, I just want to make sure that people understand what we're we talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, Evan, for level setting out there. Um, so uh, on, on the NASDAQ, in California, if you don't meet the requirements, you will get fined, right, by the uh, Secretary of State. In the NASDAQ situation, you will not get delisted. So just wanted to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. What, but you will need to. Uh, they're they're looking. They're expecting companies, you know, with the proposed guidelines uh, through the SEC, uh, for companies to provide um, greater disclosure on the, the makeup and and if they don't meet the requirements, an explanation why. Um, separate from that, as you know, there's a tremendous amount of uh, pressure from the institutional investor community. Uh, mm-hmm. To drive diversity, and so you have BlackRock, and you know, you know, the index funds. You've obviously got the the labor funds. You got uh, the pension funds, Calpers, Calsers, and others. So, so that's you know, you've got a whole you know uh, movement separate from that. But specifically on Nasdaq, um, we are going to be helping Nasdaq listed companies. So we, as, as getting back to uh, the earlier part of the conversation, so. Collecting this compensation data, we built a pretty powerful people database. And so we have close to a million profiles in the database. And so this includes, you know, public company executives, directors, private company executives uh, and and directors, nonprofits, universities. So basically think of it as the LinkedIn of the world that's on on LinkedIn. And um, in addition to, uh, so that's our board edge product. Within the Boardage product, we have gone out and have partnered with uh, roughly just shy of 40 different uh, diversity organizations. And so this would include like women corporate directors, it would include Elevate, it would include Catalyst. So those are you know, a number of women leadership organizations. We've also partnered with a number of ethnic uh, diversity organizations. Mm-hmm. So that's the Send Pinnacle in the Asian American community, the Executive Leadership Council, uh, ELC, Af- uh, the Black Executive Community, um, Latino Corporate Directors Association, LCDA, uh, for the Hispanic Latinx community. And uh, so before we existed, companies, you know, as we often will hear, well, we just can't find them. <laughs> we can't find yeah. these candidates. And then they would have to, uh, you know, they would re- rely on a search firm, you know, reach out to their network, potentially reach out to some of each, some of the groups I mentioned before, ask for candidates, right? And, um, you know, it's a pretty, it's, you know, a, a very labor intensive process. You'd have to have resources and frankly, also an expensive process if you're hiring, you know, one of the major search firms. And um, what we have built by, with, on top of our board edge platform. So think of LinkedIn, where you can go in and search for people. And then within that, you can see like, oh, well, that person, Evan Epstein, oh, he's a member of LCDA. 
Oh, and 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 here's how I'm connected, to Evan, because I know Joe Grunfest and, and Evan and Joe were at the Rock Center together. So what we've done is by building, you know, what we call the Equity Diversity Network, we call it Eden, EDN. Think of it as a registry of registries. So as opposed to having to go to 40 different websites or reaching out to 40 separate different organizations, with one search, you're searching across all of them simultaneously. And so literally within seconds, you can see people who match the criteria. So let's say I wanted a, a black woman, former CEO or CFO, financial expert sat on an audit committee. So literally just check, check, check in seconds. It will then pull up people like Shelly Archambault, you know, mm-hmm. people, people like that. And then not only should pull up Shelly Archambault, but you will see like who within our network knows Shelly. Like, you know, so-and-so used to be on the Norsen board with Shelly. And so therefore that person could either, you know, help out with an introduction or can provide background. And so that's what we've done is not only um, sourced, help uh, identify the diversity candidates. And so individuals would go in and self-identify that they are LGBTQ, they are African-American, and they have the incentives to do it now. Well, they've always had the incentives, mm-hmm. but the NASDAQ mm-hmm. relationship makes it even stronger because now NASDAQ lists the companies, frankly, all companies, right? Um, we've made it so easy for them to be able to ident- identify people who match this and then match the, 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 the criteria uh, for what was traditionally harder to identify. And then equally as important, show how their network may be connected to these individuals. But, okay, that's a great explanation of your tool. So how is NASDAQ using this or is it going to be yeah. automated or, you know, no, what exactly? Yeah, yeah. So we're basically uh, offering up trials to all of the NASDAQ listed companies um, that, you know, are that need help. And uh, yeah, complimentary trials to all of them. And in addition to uh, being able to source the candidates, what we hope will happen is that this becomes a, uh, as you know, for governance best practices, the non-gov committee, the board, they should always have a bench of candidates, right? right? Every quarter, they should be reviewing succession planning, who's in the pipeline. So within our tool, um, they can maintain a pipeline of candidates. And so let's say you meet somebody and uh, you're on the non-gov committee and like, oh, you know, this person, she's great or he's great. Um, They're not available now but we want to keep tabs on this person. So you can store all that on on the platform. And then we have daily alerts and Evan will set you up with this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that individual, you know, she, he or she joins a new board or becomes available. Now all of a sudden like, Oh, good. Let's, let's keep track of these people. So digitally we're tracking all of this for companies. And so now they'll govern its best practice. They'll never have to, you know, scramble when they have that open board seat. They'll always have a bench of, let's say 10, 15, 20 candidates and be able to monitor that. So we're excited how we're going to help transform governance practices. There. So just a, a, a summary and correct me if I'm wrong. If, if I'm a listed company in NASDAQ, now yep. NASDAQ is going to facilitate to my board uh, nomination governance committee, this tool yep. optional, they can use yep. it uh, and then they can register and, 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 and use that. Does that have a cost per company? Not for, not for the trials. Not, not for the trials. trials. So everyone's a, yeah. So everyone's a, has a, they're, they're, this is something that we said, Hey, we are, um, you know, it's a, um, we're confident that, you know, people will see the power of this. And the other great thing about the tool, um, and I, I don't know the last time you've looked at it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's also a tremendous business development tool, right? right? You know, we're trying to break into this company. Who do we know that knows this person? 
um, the alerting system of changes across your peer group of what's happening. So it's something that we're you know pretty confident, given the success we've had with it in the past, that once people get a taste of this, you know, uh, frankly, a number will want to continue access. But we are every Nasdaq listed uh, company is absolutely eligible for uh, a three month trial. And, you know, even if it's, you know, they walk away, hey, we, we, we got our candidates, but we're not going to continue. That, that's fine. But I, I think, you know, it's upon us and, and, and they see um, the, the, the power of the tool that uh, we're, we're, uh, we'll see how it plays out. So can I say that you're disrupting the executive recruiting firms in a very Silicon Valley way, right, with data? <laughs> Yeah, you said it, not me. I don't want to get in trouble here. But no, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the search firms, um, they, you know, have an important role in the process. You know, they're, we're not sitting there vetting candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not uh, interviewing candidates. That, you know, that's where, you know, the, the search mm-hmm. firms, they bring their expertise. Uh, that being said, if a company really feels comfortable, um, you know, uh, we can um, do this ourselves. Then yeah, for the do-it-yourselves folks, and and the reality is for I, I, I don't want to get in trouble here, but you know you fall out of the Fortune 1000, um, it's hard to get the attention of you know the top firms, right? I and mean, that's what we, I've, I mean. I've heard even partners at you know some of the top firms say like you know hey if they're uh, not Target or one of the big names, that um, they're just that's that's where they're focusing and. So there's the, the, the unwashed masses, for lack of a better term. There's so many of these small mid caps mm-hmm. that frankly can't afford, and they're not do, they're not they're not hiring the Spencer Stewart's, the Hydrics of the world, right? right? right. So they don't have a solution today, other than okay, who do we know sitting around the table? And you know, when as you know, if you're recruiting from your own little network, it's um, you know you're going to tend to hire people with similar backgrounds, and what we're hoping through this is that they'll be able to tap that network and see who else they're connected to and um, expand their network, you know, literally just one degree beyond their direct connections, which will bring that diversity of thought into the, into the boardrooms. No, I I think that's, that's great. And and I was looking at your diversity network. You have 5,158 member profiles, 2,044 appointments. I'm sure that's gone up already. So you tracking that, uh, in terms of this NASDAQ proposal and the California laws, there will be a lot of new openings, right? I mean, this yeah. opens up thousands of new positions, theoretically, for diverse candidates. How do you see that play out? I did read Equilar published some research, and, and you said that 36% of the Russell 3000 companies headquartered in California would not meet the 2021 requirement, and that 82.5% of companies would not meet a 2022 requirement. So how do you see this play out in terms of companies kind of rushing to nominate these people or, or you know, I, I suppose that is a challenge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, for lack of a better term, a bit of a land grab right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you are seeing uh, more and more uh, people of color, especially on the, on the, black, uh, in the black community being appointed to boards. And, but what ends up happening, right, is that uh, because of uh, the uh, board limits, people are quickly getting boarded up. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be, uh, there is a need for more candidates who currently aren't on boards. And uh, so we're working very closely. Like we had a kickoff call with ELC yesterday uh, with the Executive Leadership Council. And so we're getting a number of their folks to you know, go in and build out their profiles 
and just continue to uh, build out that pipeline. Had a great call with Ascent Pinnacle yesterday. We're going to get that going with them. We're already working with uh, Esther Aguilera and her team at LCDA. Uh, you, uh, you probably saw the Latino tracker yep. that we helped uh, build out for them. So yeah, no, no. So it's it's so that, that so you're absolutely right. The demand is going to go up um, exponentially mm-hmm. over the next twelve to twenty four months. So the question then becomes supply, right? Yeah. And so we want to help you know continue to build in uh, additional more and more supply. We have great supply already, um, but obviously you know the more we can bring in, um, the the better it is for everybody. So maybe we can also discuss, you know, what are the trends that you're looking at in terms of director compensation for public boards? Has this changed or anything that directors should know about this? Yeah, you know, it hasn't, um, you know, because of COVID earlier, you know, this year, a lot of pay cuts, pauses, uh, and the C-suite and the executive level. So, um, those are starting to be restored again, but you know, as you know, early this year, very little visibility on what things uh, were going to how, how the how the rest of the year was going to turn out. But by and large, most businesses have kind of recognized the new normal. You know, better visibility going forward. Um, with with that going on, we definitely saw board director comp uh, uh, somewhat plateau. You know, you were seeing every year kind of a six to seven percent increase consistently. Large cap director comp, you know, roughly about three hundred thousand a year. This year, the the raises, quote unquote, raises have been much much more modest because uh, I think boards have realized, hey, you know, if we're asking executives to to take cuts, you know, it's not the appropriate time to, you know, put those uh, lockstep uh, increases this year. Yeah, I did notice that you wrote uh, Ecuador wrote a, a paper with the Stanford, uh, I think, with David Larker yep, with on, Larker. on on yep. with uh, compensation that saying that seventeen percent of companies adjusted the CEO director pay amid COVID nineteen. But what's interesting, right, is you know even though there is this pandemic in the market, the stock market is just booming like never before. I mean, you said at the beginning this seems very much like a dot com two thousand year yeah. era. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. If you look back to March or April, if we would have told you that the Dow would be at 30,000 and the IPO market would be on fire by the end of the year, you had been like, what, you know, what crystal ball are you looking at? So, yeah, well, as you know, there's unlimited liquidity in the capital markets right now. I mean, you have interest rates, right, for all intents and purposes at zero. And, um, you know, and I, and I think the world's banking on whether it gets done before, um you know, uh, things, uh, recess hits uh, at the end of the year or shortly thereafter with the new Biden administration, there will be additional stimulus coming in at some point. So, yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I, I'm stunned, but it, it is what it is. And that's why I'm not a stock picker. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? Like I, I've been writing and, and kind of seeing this trend where uh, this idea of staying private for longer yeah. is no longer. I mean, I think the last time I saw there were 350 companies that went public only this year. And so is this something that as a CEO of a private company, you see like more people not only being able to raise uh, money in the private market, but saying, "Hey, you know what? Uh, public markets are are in again." Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, looking back to nine nine two thousand, right? It is um, the window is wide open, right? You can drive a Nikola truck through it right now, like <laughs> it, assuming it was it, it can run, it runs. But it is this is as wide as it gets, and as you know, Evan, right? 
we know how this movie ends. And mm. so when that, when it shuts down, it will shut down hard and it will shut down hard for a while. So it's, it's, you know, people realize, Hey, you know, while, while, while the capital's there, we got to go out and get it and uh, you know, deal with the letter. But that being said, you know, the, as the, you look at the balance sheets of companies that are going public, much, much stronger than they were, you know, yeah. back in 99, 2000. So, you know, when that nuclear winter hits, um, you know, more of these companies, you know, they have revenue, they have businesses. Um, some of the SPACs, yeah, I mean, they are a bit more questionable when they, you know, because that, you know, I've, I've talked to people about this and, you know, the bankers are telling some of the companies that are going public through PACs, you know, don't show revenue until 2025, right? <laughs> and that was, you know, yeah. that's the same thing we, we were, you know, saying back in 99, 2000 with companies, you know, don't show revenue until 2005. So it's only just taking, you know, it's just, like I said, we've seen that movie before, and, you know, right. it's inevitable that, you know, it's, it's there, there will not be a soft landing, uh, at least on the, uh, on the, um, on the IPO side. And uh, we'll see how the Well, it, it does seem like the tech industry, uh, which is very Bay Area uh, uh, focused, is doing incredibly well because of COVID, right? Like yeah. a lot of it is going uh, software and other yeah. uh, technologies. So it does seem like there's a lot of wind, but also there's this bizarre trend of people leaving California and, and San Francisco. You know, what do you think about that trend? You, you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but uh, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, um, everyone has tried to replicate Silicon Valley, right? And other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Um, you are seeing a, a, a pretty impressive critical mass move in Austin. Mm -hmm. um, the, the challenge though, and there, you know, people are saying, oh, Silicon Valley, they're done. And people have been saying that for, you know, 50, 60 years, right? Like, ah, oh, Silicon Valley, you know, it, it, you know, can't, it's not sustainable, it, it will leave. Um, I, I, I still believe in, in Silicon Valley. I think San Francisco will um, figure out its issues and you know, get that um, cleaned up. But, um, but I, you know, the, the, the combination of Stanford University, you know, Berkeley, the, the, the higher education system here, um, the quality of life. Yes, you know, housing has gotten out of hand, but we are seeing some, some, some corrections there and their, their efforts to help improve things on that front. But just the comp the whole ecosystem, right? Venture capital, um, you know, legal, uh, the you know, the banking community, uh, the engineering talent. So you you add it all up. I just think at the end of the day, um, you'll it's even though Austin and some of these other areas are definitely attracting talent. Um, I I just think that yeah. it's it's hard to get all of those pieces pieces and, and having Stanford, Cal, and other schools here in the area. It just produces so much amazing talent that. Um, well, it seems like that state income tax of California versus Texas zero and Florida, yeah. but. Yeah, uh, don't remind me. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm with you. And at some point, you know, yeah, there, there are people like we, we, we read Joe Lonsdale's piece a couple of weeks ago yeah. in the journal, and then yeah. you know, Elon Musk talking about it at the CEO council this week. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's the the the, the no mas. Uh, you know, you're going to break more and more people. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and and maybe the last topic on on governance is a big one, and I think I've asked most of the um, guests because it's probably the, the the strongest topic on this shift from stakeholder capitalism after like the the shareholder primacy. I mean, how how do you see that? I mean, is this something that uh, affects the way you run your company, 
or uh, you know clients of Equilar. I, are you seeing some of the shift in compensation practices, for example? Yeah, not as much. Uh, a little bit on the compensation side because you are definitely seeing more and more ESG type metrics showing up in uh, compensation, you know, performance plans. Whether that's around sustainability, whether that's around diversity, so you're absolutely seeing that on the compensation side, and I think you will, you know, see more of that because everybody's talking about ESG. Um, the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't get much we've reached we've reached yeah. the pope level yeah. if, if the vatican if it's on the vatican's <laughs> agenda yeah no you're absolutely right so what else is there to say no, but but, it, but in all seriousness um the i i don't think it's really been that big of a shift uh you know in terms of i think companies were, were operating this way right i mean if you think about stakeholder capitalism, right? okay take care of your employees take care of your customers make sure you have good you know your supplier relationships I think that the the area that probably hasn't gotten as much attention, and I think because of ESG and, and um, now, and especially as you know, you and I here in California, um, is, is the environmental side of things, right? And you know, the fires this summer, right? That that was an eye opener. I mean, we've mm-hmm. had fires mm-hmm. in past years, but what preceded the fires, as you know, right, was that lightning storm, and that lightning storm. That you know lasted for about five or six hours. The the intensity, the the volume, you know the the how loud it was, and you know all the fires that it triggered here. I mean that um, you know there there is definitely climate change going on. I'd never you know my fifty three years of living on this planet never seen anything like that. And so yeah, so I think there's hopefully there will be a, a greater emphasis on uh, you know the sustainability side of things. But I think, you know, I, I don't know, there's obviously been a lot of talk about, you know, stakeholder versus shareholder, but I, I feel many companies were operating that way uh, uh, beforehand. So I don't think it was really that. And that, you know, when you had over 200 CEOs of, of the BRT sign on to this, it's kind of like, yeah, well, this is what we're already doing. So why, you know, why, this isn't really a big, big leap for us uh, to, to sign on to this. Right, right. No, it is, it is obviously creating a lot of discussion in the governance circles. In a yeah. bit of in a debate that has existed, you know, in the seventies, even in the early part of the twentieth century, uh, it's supposed like what's the role of corporations in society? Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's move on to the last part. Let me ask you some rapid fire questions. Sure. The first one is, you know, what are the one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Yeah, I, I would say the the hard thing about hard things. Uh, mm. Ben Horowitz's book. I think you've asked any entrepreneur who read it, who's read it. Um, it's like their Bible. It's like, you know, when they read about sort of how he had to pivot from, uh, what was it? Was it originally loud cloud to become Opsware and just all the different stories. It's, we've all gone through that. We can all relate to it and the, the loneliness and the challenges and the difficult decisions. So I think that's been, and I think when I read that book, I, it was very much like, wow, good. I'm not the only one who felt this way <laughs> and uh, pulling that together. But, uh, but that, that was great. And another book we're reading right now, and I would say it, it, it's it's only recent, but I think this will influence my life quite a bit going forward. Um, is John Doerr's book "Measure What Matters," uh-huh. and so yeah. we just uh, adopted that as a company here, the OKRs, Objectives mm-hmm. and Key Results, and uh, just a great book. And just you know, hearing uh, the stories of sort of how YouTube adopted it and some of the other businesses, I, it was a great book. Mm-hmm. Okay, and who were your mentors, and what did you learn from them? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, without a question. My dad, uh, my dad, uh, you know, classic immigrant story. Uh, worked very hard. Um, 
And, you know, you, you look at where he came from, as I've mentioned, you know, lived through the Korean War, uh, lost his dad at a very young age. Um, you know, there are there, there things about, um, I talked to a lot of my other Korean American friends roughly about the same age, but parents go through the war. We don't hear much about what that was like because mm-hmm. it was so devastating. You know, they don't want to talk about it. And, um, but yeah, no, just seeing how um, he was able to, like, I don't know how he, you know, how my parents were able to do what they were able to do coming from, uh, from Korea back in the, back in the sixties. Um, my best friend's dad in high school, um, he was, uh, you know, incredibly successful business person and uh, just opened up my eyes to, you know, the potential of what's out there. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, as you and I know, right, as we get to work with um, and get to know amazing people, you just like, oh, I didn't know that that existed. Right. And um, so I was just fortunate enough to, you know, intersect with um, with uh, with my friend's dad early in life. That's great. And are there any quotes that you think of often or that you live your life by? Yeah, I, I would say without question, I think people are uh, tired of me um, saying this one, but, uh, you know, skate, skate to where the puck is going to be, mm-hmm. not where it is today, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where, you know, as we think about our business, you know, always thinking out ahead, you know, thinking where are things headed. Um, because right, if you're only going to where the puck is, you'll never catch it. And, uh, and I, I give tremendous amount of credit to my, uh, our board, um, in getting early into this whole diversity space. And this mm-hmm. goes back to 2015, 2016, when we started, you know, launched the gender diversity index and some of these other things. So this was, you know, well before Floyd and everything that's happened this summer. And, um, so no, so that's the reason why we've been able to build a network of 40 different organizations. So, uh, it's, it's been great having great board members and uh, identifying, you know, what's coming, uh, down there, you know, on the horizon there. Uh, that's, that, that, that's really good. And, and I do remember you being very early in that and, and, you know, using board edge and, and all of that, uh, for, for and engage for the events, uh, yep. at directors college. So what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I got so many, I don't know if we have enough time, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I guess the one that, uh, that comes to mind and maybe it's not that unusual, but I'm, I, I'm a classic multitasker. And, mm-hmm. um, so a good example would be, uh, you know, at night, so I'll work out in the morning, but also at night. And, and I'm also somebody who doesn't like to sit still. I'm, 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 you know, I have a standing desk. I'm always, you know, moving around. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'll go, go down after dinner and then, uh, while reading the paper, I'll walk on the treadmill. So I'm like, you know, always trying to do, you know, so I'm sitting there, I got the wall street journal and I'm doing my steps and getting them in. So are you not eating the, what what are those, those meals that you don't have to, uh, it's a Silicon Valley trend where you don't have to get off your, your uh, desk. And it's just like, uh, you feed from just like this one. Oh no, I'm not that bad. No, no, okay. Okay. Good. I I don't want to know about this. Yeah, I'm blanking on the name, but it's like this thing that like the the coders kind of came up and yeah, it's a big, yeah. big, big trend. That's surprising. They, 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 HBO needs to bring Silicon Valley back. The yeah, show. I love that, that show. Um, and, and so is there any living person that you most admire? Yeah, I mean, there uh, are a lot, but I guess the... Um, I don't know. I guess probably the the one that if I had to pick one, I, I would say it. And I, you know, I know I'm sure this is every a lot of deals, but I would say Warren Buffett, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just somebody who just consistently for 
so many years. I mean, push, I, I don't know if he's 90 yet, but just uh, his ability to, you know. I don't know. Um, Charlie Munger is probably 96. Yeah, well, he's 97 or something like that. But yeah, I would, I would probably say just his, you know, his business acumen and also his, just his leadership of, of giving back and, you know, the giving pledge and uh, just his amazing influence on, uh, on corporate America. Okay. Any final thought for directors listening and, and thoughts on, on what's the next, where the puck is going on governance? Yeah, good, great question. I would definitely, you know, as we know, diversity um, is definitely, you know, top of mind right now. So that's where the puck is. Where does it go from there? Um, you know, I am, I am candidly surprised at the negative reaction from the Wall Street Journal about NASDAQ's announcement. So there's another article in today's paper um, where, where this is going, this goes beyond public companies. Uh, this diversity thing is going to extend well beyond public companies. It's going to be uh, in, the, in the private, it is starting to happen in the private world. Sure. We're working with you know, the Carlisle's, the TPG's of the world and others, and they're thinking about this even well before the NASDAQ listing requirement. So I think this whole area around and the venture will, capital industry yeah, exactly exactly so VC and 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 why it's because of all their LPs sure. right ILPA uh, you know the Limited Partners Association yeah. they came out with their diversity initiative this past week so this area around diversity it's going to be you know public private you know nonprofit you name it university boards uh, it's it's and, and and as a result it will also continue to to trickle down. And um, so, you know, this whole area around human capital metrics and um, diversity, you know, there, there's, you, you have uh, Mary Morris at Calisters, you've got Meredith Miller at UAW really pushing the HCM side. So um, a lot of focus, a lot of emphasis on this. And as that data becomes available and, and disclosed, we will certainly be, uh, be tracking that and make it uh, available to our clients. David, it has been great to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much again for taking the time. I think I've always followed all the stuff that you do at Equilar and executive compensation and governance at large. And I'm not surprised that you have this big uh, agreement with NASDAQ and I'm sure it's going to keep growing. So thank you again. And I'm, uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon again after this pandemic is over. Absolutely. Thank you, Evan, for the opportunity. Honored to be part of, uh, of your program. And Let's go for a socially distanced outdoor hike in the coming weeks here. So. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, David. Talk to you soon. Great. Bye. Yep. Thanks a lot, Evan. Thank you for tuning in to the Boardroom Governance Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing this podcast on social media. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can just find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan Epstein. You can also check out all the details related to this podcast on the website boardroom-governance.com and please feel free to subscribe to the Boardroom Governance newsletter at evanepstein.substack.com.